0: Thank you, Eric, and it's been a pleasure to be with you for this weekend and for this important topic, relationships, dating for future happy marriages. We looked in the first lecture, we looked at God's ideal in marriage, for godly homes producing godly homes, to strengthen our resistance against temptation, we saw how Satan has attacked that in fact, God gave adam Eve to strengthen him in his resistance of temptation, so Satan particularly attacked Eve to weaken Adam. I think I said that wrong to strengthen adam in his uh, in his result. And so Satan attacked Eve to weaken Adam in his resolve. So he attacks the family and tries to keep it from being the godly influence that it could be in this world. Then, last night we looked at God's ideal in, I think it's on, uh, God's ideal in courtship. And it was revealed in how he had Adam. Court. Before marriage, there were three requirements. One needed to be able to support a family. And Adam could. He had home, he had a, a Eden um, provided to him without a large mortgage. He had basic training done. He'd named the animals. Um, he had an occupation. He could tend and keep the garden. And um, then he had the second criteria for marriage, and that is self-control. Um, he had been taught by God not to eat from the forbidden tree. So he had not only a throttle, he had brakes and necessary for a happy family relationship. And then he had the third, which was sleep, total trust in God. You know, if you don't have uh, the these three certainly the first two, Um, if you're being wakened up, it's not God. So, uh, we can afford to trust in the Lord. Well, this morning we looked at some predictors of success. And this afternoon, we want to look at key courtship questions, last of the series. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, as we look over this final time where we're together, looking at the grid that you've given us to guide us and help protect us from making a mistake that would bring us great unhappiness, Pray that the Spirit may be here, protect my lips from speaking the wrong thing, and help the ears to listen in a way that when I stumble over a word, they'll hear what I meant to say, what you meant to have said, that despite the weakness of man, the strength of God will... Come through and reveal Jesus to us. We thank you for hearing and answering this prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Remember taking a class in physical diagnosis right here in Loma Linda. We learned to, that to make a correct diagnosis of a disease, you have to know what questions to ask and understand the significance of the answers. Learning the right questions of medicine really wasn't the most romantic or exciting part of medicine, but it was necessary to get the right diagnosis. And asking the right question is also necessary if you want a happy home. It's not the most exciting or romantic part of our presentations, but if you want the questions that can assure you of safety, That's what we're going to talk about this afternoon. Proverbs 14, 15 says, The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. There are several words for fool used in Proverbs by Solomon. One type of fool is here translated as simple. The simple fool bases his decisions, his thoughts, his philosophy on superficial knowledge without careful investigation. Courtship is an area of life with immense consequences. And in this area, we can't afford to be just simple fools. We must avoid basing our decisions on superficial appearances, trusting our own impulses or impressions. We must establish with careful certainty that our steps Are safe, our direction good, our destination happy. Youth can easily be simple fools when it comes to courtship. In advice to those who are dating, psychologist and author Dr. James Dobson says, take time to check your assumptions with your partner before committing yourself to marriage. It is surprising how often men and women plunge toward matrimony without ever becoming aware of major differences in expectation between them. As we looked at this morning, thoughtful dating requires careful research and investigation beneath the attractive surface. It requires a thorough, diligent study of our own habitual thoughts and feelings and the habitual thoughts and feelings of one we think may be an appropriate life's partner. Ellen White noted a problem common to Young people in courtship, they don't have sales resistance when it comes to marriage. Review and Herald, January 26, 1886. The youth trust altogether too much to impulse. They should not give themselves away too easily or be captivated too readily by the winning exterior of the lover. Those who want a successful marriage must ask the right questions before dating and while dating. And they must wait until they have the answers before proceeding. Ellen White put one question at the very top of the list. This essential first question underlies all the other questions. There was a European boy who had taken a fancy to a girl, but they lived in different countries, and so he sent a letter to Ellen White. And he said, in this letter, he said, "Um, would you investigate this girl for me? And White took that very seriously. And so she talked to the girl. She did various investigations, and she wrote back to this young man. And here's the first line of the letter. This is a letter to Young Lovers, 21. I knew that you should have a wife that could make you a happy home. I asked her. And then she goes on to say the questions that she asked. You see, she was taking the process seriously. But what was her aim in the questions? Would there be happiness for this young man and this young lady? Happiness. She sought to find whether this young lady had the necessary feminine touches that would bring happiness to a union. And, of course, the questions for the man, does he have the necessary manly touches that will make the two a positive, happy union? The first question that she tells a young man about a prospective life's partner. Volume five, three hundred and sixteen. Will the one you marry bring what happiness to your home? The same focus is brought to in questions uh, a woman is to ask about a prospective husband. We saw that this morning. Messages to young people, four hundred and fifty. Let the woman who desires a peaceful happy union inquire: Is he mindful of? Speaking of the mother. Her happiness. Why? If he's not mindful of the mother's happiness, will he be mindful of the wife's happiness? That's where you learn it. And this is repeated in another letter to a woman, messages to young people, 439. Has he the traits of character that will make her what? Happy. A new couple was also counseled to evaluate the relationship for the genuine components of happiness, messages to young people, 439. Will this new relationship prove a source of what? Now, what do these interactions tell us with a prophet writing to others in her first part of her instruction on homes? Well, they tell me three things. Number one, happiness is important. Number two, happiness is possible. And number three, happiness is often missing. the underlying reason for any other question is happiness. Will the marriage bring happiness? Can you bring happiness to a home? Will the one you marry bring happiness to your home? You see, God wants us happy. That's His joy, our happiness. You want to know what really turns God on? Making somebody happy. That's what He likes to do. And that's why Satan works so hard to make us unhappy because he can strike at God. And God is unhappy because his children are unhappiness. Ecclesiastes 2.26, to the man who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and what? Happiness. Now, I'd like to ask you a question here, and, and I don't mean to embarrass anybody, or, but... Just if you'd be willing to do this for my instruction, put up your hand if you came from a really, really happy home, what you'd call a really, really happy home. Put it up high. Some. A home where both your mother and your father were happy. Both really happy. How many of you want a home that is happier than your parents' home? It should come as no surprise that many homes are not happy. Dr. Linda Waite, the Lucy Flower Professor of Sociology and Director of the Center on Aging at the University of Chicago, studied unhappy marriages. Plenty to choose from. With colleagues, she reviewed the National Survey of Families and Households done by the University of Wisconsin in 1987 88, with a follow up five years later, 1992 through 94. Several of her findings I found particularly interesting. First, three out of four unhappily married adults are married to someone who is happy with the marriage. Imagine being in a marriage when, where one is happy with the relationship while the other is miserable. It's sad to even imagine such a, a broken marriage relationship. Yet, that's the best that could be said about the, uh, the home. At least one of them was happy, whatever that meant. It's so important to be able to accurately answer this question about whether our spouse will bring happiness or whether we will bring happiness into the home. Not just for a little bit, but over time, do we know the ingredients that bring lasting happiness? In this same study, the vast majority of divorces, in fact, 74% took place in adults who reported at the first of the study that they had happy marriages. that was only 5 years before someone could say well we'll get married and see if the spouse brings happiness to the home and if they don't we'll get a divorce and then find somebody else that will unfortunately the weight status suggests that those who divorce are seldom happier either despite what people say your best shot at a happy marriage is the first time you're married each succeeding trial is more the odds are higher that it will not bring happiness in a longitudinal 15-year study done by Ed Diener a University of Illinois psychology professor a specialist in subjective feelings of well-being life satisfaction of course they can't say that in psychology I mean they have to say it that way instead of happiness He studied 24,000 people living in Germany. Although Dr. Diner's research found that the happiest people all appear to have strong social relationships, interestingly, his study, published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology in March 2003, found that most people were no more satisfied with life after marriage than they were prior to marriage. They were no more happy married than when they were single. And so the question, will you bring, will she bring, will he bring happiness to the home, is an important one. Are they happy now? If they're not happy now, why not? What are they looking for to make them happy? The study found that people who were already satisfied with their lives before marriage were more likely to stay married longer. People who get married and stay married are more satisfied than average long before the marriage has occurred. I remember meeting Sherry right here at La Melinda. She was the first girl that I'd run into that was um, planning on being single. She was perfectly happy to be single. Didn't need somebody else to, to make her happy. She had Jesus. What else did she need? And that was one of the key components that I personally was looking for. I wanted to find somebody that was satisfied with Jesus because I knew I couldn't satisfy a a person, make them happy. Humans can't. The finding of Dr. Diener is simply documenting What Inspiration Had Previously Revealed, Volume 4, Page 503, There's Not One Marriage in 100 That Results. What's that last word? Halfway. Odds against you are 99%. Those are troubling odds. And this is because many couples act like the pilot on the Titanic. Ignoring the laws of happiness and warning flags of trouble ahead. To recap, what are we seeking to find out by our investigation before and during courtship and dating? Will this home be a happy one? Isn't that the question? Yes. How can we know? To answer this question, we need to understand the ingredients of home happiness. What makes one home happy and another unhappy? Is it just bad karma? Why does my wife's bread taste good? Is it chance or is it science? What makes for happy homes? Chance or science? I'd like to suggest it's science. There are ingredients for happiness. There's a recipe to follow. If you leave one of the ingredients out, it will be like leaving the salt out of the bread. It may be nourishing, but it's tasteless. There won't be happiness. And so I have to ask, will the one I am considering marrying add the crucial ingredient to my ingredients to make a happy home, or will some crucial component be missing in the two combined? This is not only an important first question for courtships, it's an important first question for remedial problems and troubled marriages. Sometimes marriages are in trouble and they they don't really know why, the couples. They don't understand what we're going to be talking about this afternoon. It's the first question to be asked in marriage counseling, in my view. Do the parties understand how happiness results? Can they bring happiness to a home? It's too bad to ask the question late, but better late than never. How do you determine if someone will bring happiness to the home? Do you know what brings happiness to a home? We must not be satisfied with some vague, abstract, metaphysical concept. What brings happiness to a home? Let's look at a few absolute requirements. It's by no means a complete list, but it's representative. I've chosen eight major ingredients that you want in a home to be happy. See, it's not marriage that brings happiness. The studies are uniformly clear about this. Marriage doesn't bring some magic elixir that makes two unhappy people who never change suddenly, happy ever after. The first and most important point in happiness is to understand that only Christ can bring happiness. He is the author of joy. If he is not the center of your life and the center of a future home, you cannot have happiness, period. In your presence is fullness of joy, David saying, At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, there are two words that I always come to dread when I either have to say it or when I have to hear it. These two words are, I assumed. I assumed. The single most important area to explore, the first area to explore, is this question. You can't say, I assumed that she was a Christian. I assumed that he was a Christian. Don't take it for granted that because you met them at church or at Advent Hope Sabbath School or they have Christian parents or went through Christian schools, that they are centered in Christ. And this is much too important a question to leave to, I assume, or guesswork. But how do you explore it? How can you know if somebody is truly Given their life to the Lord? Can you know? You ask questions and you evaluate. If the individual is walking the walk, not just talking the talk, have both unreservedly surrendered to Christ. Is he the center of your life, the center of your relationship? I like Proverbs twenty three twenty six from God's Word translation. My son, give me your heart. Let your eyes find happiness in my ways. That's where happiness is found. Are both daily praying and studying the Bible and following the Bible's instruction. And is there joyfulness in doing this? Or is it tedious, wearisome, irksome? Is it something they can't wait to do? Thy word was found, Jeremiah exclaimed, and and I did eat it, and thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. My dad couldn't wait to get up in the morning. Three or four, whenever, the sooner the better. Because he would there spend time talking with the Lord in praying. His palms would get sweaty. He was so excited about reading his Bible. I met a couple who uh, are known to some at this church, they, they spent uh, time with my, my children, Rachel and Eric. They had been involved with a ministry, but now they're not attending church anywhere. And they live not too far from us, maybe 45 minutes, and we tried to get them involved in our local church. And I listened to their story They were involved with this ministry, very active in a ministry, not here in in, uh, Loma Linda. But I found out that they found it hard to get up on Sabbath morning at 7.30 uh, because they had a special Bible study that they were working with. They had to fix uh, breakfast for this person or they were having people live with them and And for them, it was tiresome. And now they're not in the church. Christianity folk is much better than what they experienced. Don't let this type of individual fool you into thinking they are committed Christians. If you obey and do right, a light will show you the way and fill you with happiness. Psalm 97, 11. Psalm 119, 14. Obeying your instructions brings as much happiness as being rich. Verse 47 of the same uh, psalm. I love your commands. They bring me happiness. In verse 70 I have put here, I find happiness in your law. If they are not finding happiness in the Word of God and obeying it, there is something wrong. They're not Christians. Then are they both attempting, are you both attempting to be active soul winners? Like Bible study, not from a sense of duty, but it is the favorite activity that you engage in. Luke 15, 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Can you imagine an angel leaving heaven to come down to this earth? Now, it's kind of nice in heaven, I hear. Weather's nice. Scenery is nice. Uh, friends are nice there. And they're leaving heaven. And can you imagine Sarah Fim telling her friend, Cherry Bim, I, here I go again. I got to gotta go down there, spend some time with Phil and his family tough life. Can't wait till this miserable thing is over. Think that's how they are? There's joy in heaven over one sinner that repented. They're ecstatic in the work they're doing. They can hardly wait. They, the wonder of heaven, the beauty of heaven, the glory of heaven is not as desirable as the smog of Loma Linda if they can win a soul. Does each support the church with their time and money, with a grateful heart, wishing they could give more? Acts 20.35, it is more blessed, makes one happy and more to be envied to give than to receive. I like that. My wife just loves to give. She loves the catalogs that she gets from Adra that you can give gifts to the poor people in overseas. Her sister, Dina. The only reason she has a part-time income is so she has some money to give. And is prayer meeting a habit for both? Hebrews 10.25, Not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together is the manner of some is. Friday we ate with the Kelms. And Dr. Kelm was uh, telling how that this last week... Um, He just was anxious and happy to be going to prayer meeting, supporting the program. It wasn't some dirge we listened to. I was just interested, and it was a joyful duty. They believe in it, and they have a good time supporting it, doing it. Not reluctant, not because, well, you have to. It's there, where prophecy says, you don't go to the prayer meeting. Maybe you're just not going to make it to heaven. And uh, Well, she doesn't say that. And you want to know if the one you think to unite your life with, with is, if they are going to prayer meeting, are they going because God is there or because you're there? If these things don't make them happy, they don't have the presence of Christ. I can tell you that. You see, the Pharisees were religious but they didn't have the joy and peace of Jesus in their worship. Is there criticism of others? Now, in all of this, you're looking for a trend, not a one-time error. Are they seeking to rid themselves of these types of evils, though they may trip from time to time? Ephesians 4.31 says, Get rid of all mal- bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Are they trying to get rid of these things? Do either of the couple show the love of the world by how they spend their time and money, the type of reading they choose, how they dress, what music they listen to, what foods they eat, what sports they engage in and watch? 1 John 2.15, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can know it. If they have the love of the Father, they'll love the law. If they don't, they'll love the world. And then is either restless, lacking in peace. The wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, just always needing something, always some activity, some music has to be playing, something going on all the time. Or do they have peace with themselves? Is there a problem with moral purity. 2 Timothy 2:22 Is there any pornography? Are there off-color jokes or suggestive words? Is there any improper behavior or attempts in that direction? 2 Timothy 2:22 Flee also youthful lust. What is it? Flee youthful lust, but follow righteousness with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. 1 Peter 2.11, abstain from fleshy lusts which war against the soul. Is there intemperance? Do they use addictive drugs such as nicotine, alcohol, caffeine? We can put up with their weaknesses in spouses, but not with their vices. Are they careful with their diet, their exercise, their lifestyle? And are are they happy doing it? I'm going to eat this peanut butter if it kills me. You see, happiness doesn't come from burying your spouse most of the time. Are they living in such a way that they will not prematurely bring sickness and death to the family and leave you without a spouse? Now, I didn't put down... Is their language elevated? Do they take God's name in vain? Or are they loose with their lips using crude and vulgar language? Let's look at the next. Is there underlying unity between the two of you? Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm 133, 1. Adventist Home 84, the happiness and prosperity of the married life depend upon the unity of the parties. How united will your marriage be if you marry this person? Do you enjoy similar activities? They don't need to be identical, but they should be complementary. Do you both value a healthy lifestyle? Will you both like healthy food and activities? Do you share similar philosophies? Do you respond to similar speakers? Are your goals similar? Similar Is there unity in the use of time and money? You should be united on those things you hold as core values. Are those core values based on the Word of God? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Your marriage will be as pleasant as your unity. That is actually what increases the pleasure of a good marriage over time. Because over time, guess what? You get more and more united. And unity is an important part of happiness. But unity comes from the presence of Christ. And then is there a habitual courtesy? Be peaceable, gentle, showing complete courtesy to all. Titus 3.12, New English Translation. Is there sympathy for others' pain or troubles, or is there a callous indifference? They'll laugh when somebody's hurting. How do they treat animals? Observe whether there is a gentle courteousness, or is there harshness and rudeness? Do they put down others in jest? Are they insulting? Now the next is a very crucial character quality for home happiness. Are they deferential or are they willful? Because fights in marriage are so common, some researchers have concluded that all marriage has, have fights and that this is just normal. Some say that these never resolve and can't resolve. One said married, marriage is nature's way of preventing us fighting with strangers. Don't buy ideas like that for a second. Fighting and disagreements are not necessary. They're not God's plan. You don't need, as one suggested, to set time every week aside so that you can argue. Good news. Satan tries to get us to accept as normal and in- inevitable that which we should reject as evil. He does the same thing with every sin. Homosexuality, can't change it. It's normal, normal for them. But fights aren't necessary, and this is how God takes care of it. Deference. Deference is yielding your preferences and even your rights. I tried to think of something that Sherry and I disagree over, and I finally thought of one. To Sherry's eyes, overhead lights glare, and it hurts her. My eyes, if I don't have enough light, I can't see. Well, what do we do? We could stay in different rooms and solve the problem. Or we could fight about it. I could go over and flip the switch on and then she flip it off. You see, you can't have an overhead light on and off at the same time. Well, here's how we settled it in my house. I'm the head of the house. I insisted It's it's her way. When I lose Jesus <laughs> When I lose Jesus and become willful you don't have to guess what I reap more willfulness not only in me but in my family I am planting in my own life and in the lives around but with the presence of Jesus he helps me plant deference that gentle seed and I like that crop because it yields gentle deference in me and those around me. We have trashy neighbors about two miles away from our house in North Georgia. Apparently there's some drug addiction in others. Now, we are way out in the country. We're up on a hill. You can't see anything around us. No houses. We are well hidden. But to come to our our road and then we have a nine-tenths of a mile gravel road to our place so we're quite isolated but we have to go up a road two miles from us and there's just trash all over the road horrible that's when we first moved in now we could demand our rights spy out who was littering turn them in of course And then they'd be angry with us. We'd have no influence with them. They might come over and shoot us. We'd be right, dead right. But we decided on a different plan. We'd go out and we'd pick up the trash about two miles from our home, that road that comes in. First Sunday we did it, 16 bags. And they quickly dropped more. The bags were were stinky. And we had to pay to throw them away the dump. And as if to just antagonize this thing, threw more out. But every day we'd pick it up. As we'd drive up their road, we'd get out and run around and have a great time. Family togetherness. <laughs> and you know, other neighbors have now joined in. We have been praying to reach our neighbors. Because you know, we just moved into this place. And um, They have said, let's set up a schedule so that we can pick this up. (laughs) Abraham was deferential toward Lot. Abraham was older, deserved the choice. But when Lot and Abraham's employees were fighting, Abraham said, "Look, you just choose the place you want, and I'll take the next." And of course, Joshua, he got Timnath Sarah. You know what Timnath Sarah is? The place that remains. He could have chosen the first place, but he took what was left over. Study this aspect of a potential life's partner thoroughly. Willfulness is often seen in those with a moral problem. In fact, there are often several problems that go along with moral impurity. Dishonesty, almost always. If they do it, they lie about it. Anger, argumentativeness, and then willfulness. And this may be accompanied by an apparent religiousness. That's what fools people. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. Second Peter two ten. Them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they. Self willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Titus one seven. Not self willed, not soon angry. Proverbs twenty two five, from the New Jerusalem Bible. Thorns and snares line the path of the willful. Whoever values life will stay at a distance. How do we find out if our special friend is deferential? Do they insist on their own way? What happens when their will is crossed? I dated a girl uh, for a short time who was a very sweet person. This uh, particular person had learned to get her way by being sweet. You know, some people try to get their way by being... You know, just uh, bad to be with. But she had learned to get her way by being very sweet. It was really no difference. Um, it's just a different way of getting your way. But when finally she couldn't get her way, it became obvious there was a problem. How do they relate when things don't go exactly the way they wanted? Are they stubborn or self-willed? Are they easily angered? Are they critical of authority figures? Do they get along well with others? Are they friendly? Notice uh, this comment in Adventist Home 107. Do not try to compel each other to do as you wish. Manifestations of self-will destroy the peace and happiness of the home. See, That's what we're looking at, happiness. Let not your married life be one of contention. If you do, you'll both be unhappy. Be kind in speech and gentle in action. Now, I want you to notice this next phrase. What does it say? Read it with me. Giving up what? Your own wishes. What important instruction. Giving up your own wishes. Jesus does this all the time for us. Watch well your words. For they have a powerful influence for good or for ill. We talked about that this morning. But notice it's not only what we say, but how we say it. Allow no sharpness to come into your voice. You know, hail and rain are both the same substance. You can say the truth and hurt people. Bring into your united life the fragrance of Christ's likeness. This how to have a happy home. Will you be like this? Will the one you are dating be like this? And then, love for order and organization. Hell South, where I uh, used to uh, work, was always at that time completely clean, complete, prepared for any visit, ready for a surprise. And it was impressive. Under the old covenant, uncleanness, disorder, disorganization were illustration of sin. Idols could be worshipped haphazardly without regard for neatness or cleanliness. You could worship idols, you'd go to the temple in any old get-up you wanted. But God's worship was much different. Cleanliness, order, and organization were rigidly enforced. The house of worshippers... The the houses that the worshipers lived in were to be completely clean. The bodies of the worshipers were to be fully washed. In the New Covenant, we have the foot-washing service. God wants cleanliness. Cleanliness is not option for Christian homes. Notice what uh, um, in Genesis, Jacob said for a revival. He said unto his household, Genesis 35-2, and all that were with him Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments. 2 Chronicles 9.4, today's English version. Speaking of uh, a visitor to Solomon's... uh, she saw that the food was served at his table, the living quarters for his officials, the organization of his palace staff, the uniforms they wore, the clothing of the serpents who waited on him at feast, and the sacrifices he offered in the temple. It left her breathless and amazed. Organization, detail, order. King Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles 31 2, reestablished the organization of the priests and Levites under which they each had specific duties and so forth. Now, I have to tell you, in my Wichita office, I didn't have a very neat desktop. It was a mess. And I began to come under conviction. That does not speak well about the God I worship. It's not representative. It bears a false witness. It undercut my witness for God. I'd invite the patients in, and there was my desk, all cluttery. And one day I determined by God's grace to not leave my office until the desk was clean, cleaned off. I began doing it. That evening I either threw it away or put it away or got it done. And I found that untidiness was just another way for me to procrastinate. Staff noticed it immediately. (laughs) I gave them my testimony of my God who loves order and organization, which of course forced me to continue it. Our home must testify to the God we worship. We can't be happy without this. Notice Adventist Home 22. A wife and mother cannot make home agreeable and happy unless she possesses a love for order, preserves her dignity, and has good government. Therefore, all who fail on these points should begin at once to educate themselves in this direction and cultivate the very things wherein is their greatest lack. This is so important. Determine to find out this information on anyone you're thinking of marrying. One well-ordered, well-disciplined family tells more in behalf of Christianity than all the sermons that can be preached, even by Doug Batchelor or my son-in-law, Eric. Such a family gives evidence that the parents have been successful in following God's directions and that their children will serve Him in the church. Their influence grows for as they impart, they receive to impart again. The father and mother find helpers in their children who give to others the instruction received in the home. The neighborhood in which they live is helped, for in it they have become enriched for time and for eternity. The whole family is engaged in the service of the Master, and by their godly example, others are inspired to be faithful and true to God in dealing with His flock, His beautiful flock. And so the question, is she or he habitually neat, tidy, orderly, and organized? How do you know if there's a love for order? Check it out. Is there planning and scheduling? Is the room neat and tidy? Is the bed made? Are things put away? Are clothes hung up? But we must hurry on to three other areas. Finances is one of the three common areas of disagreement. This is a very important area in home happiness. All couples should have the fundamentals before marriage. John 6, 12, when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. You see, we are not owners of anything. We're stewards. And so the question is, their recognition of God's ownership in all things. Is money spent for vanity, show, or display? Remember that our actions and thoughts, our deeds and our words, are seed. We talked about that this morning. What kind of harvest will vanity produce? A harvest of vanity. More will need to be expended. This will never end. There will always be something more to display. Fashionable and expensive clothing for ourselves and our children. Luxury cars. Extravagant homes with elegant furnishings. We must have the latest tennis rackets, golf clubs, and ski equipment. Our membership must be in the finest country club. Our vacations to exotic places. Our children will need to be schooled in the most exclusive of the local academies. Each of these expenditures is a seed with a further harvest. Satan will aim to absorb every penny, not to benefit our families, not to feed the hungry and clothe the naked, not to give our children a proper education, not to influence our neighbors for heaven, but to increase pride and love of self. You know, in the wilderness... The children of Israel gave up their jewelry to build the house of God. And the early Christians did exactly the same thing. Peter said, Who is adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel. And Paul said in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array. Though this is fashionable by the world, we as Christians looking for the soon appearing of Jesus have a much better place to invest our money than engagement and wedding jewelry. In place of this, we can give it to advance the cause of God. This giving is seed sown that will produce a harvest after its kind, hastening the coming of Christ for his bride and the great wedding of which our weddings are only a type. Is money spent on amusement or selfish pleasure? Is there love for going to shows, movies, renting videos, expensive restaurants, professional sports? Is money expended on the latest video games? Is money expended for fictitious books and magazines? These are the questions you want to evaluate if you want a happiest of happy homes. Said the prophet, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread in your labor, for that which satisfieth not? Is there self-denial for others' needs? Do both have savings? Is there avoidance of debt? Is there generosity toward the poor? Is there faithfulness in tithes and offerings? By every penny we spend, we show whether we love God supremely and our neighbor as ourselves. We're sowing seed. And then, patient, diligent, thorough consistency. Are the parties careless in work habits, or is there patient, thorough diligence? Is there only talk about doing better, or is there follow-through? Proverbs 27, 23, be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and look well to thy herds. The details matter, brothers and sisters. You must find out if the persons that you're uh, dating or thinking of dating, if the teachers and the work supervisors give a good recommendation of your potential spouse's work habits, their industry, their reliability. That's why it takes 2.4 years to work through this stuff. (laughs) He becometh poor that dealeth with the slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Proverbs uh, 10.4 says, Proverbs 12.24, the hand of the diligent shall rule, shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. The slothful man, Proverbs 12.27, roasteth not that which he took in hunting. But the substance of a diligent man is precious. In other words, if somebody does something that you're, you're dating, do they follow through with it so they get the results of their labor? Proverbs 13.4, The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Proverbs 21.5, The thoughts of the diligent tend only to plenteousness. In Proverbs 22, 29, seest thou a man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings, he shall not stand before mean men. Notice how the ingredients for home happiness are not dependent on talents and gifts and intelligence. If they were, only a few homes could be happy. But this is something that everybody can have. And thorough, patient diligence with consistency is necessary for proper child care. Like braces on the teeth, the gentle, firm, consistent pressure of consistency molds everything. And they mold our home, and they bring happiness. All can have the presence of Christ, which brings unity, teaches courtesy and deference, and gives a love for order and organization. And his love for Christ is awakened, all whether rich or poor will be eager to learn to manage money more wisely and time more wisely so they'll have more to bring others to the joy that we have in Jesus. The presence of Christ will motivate us toward a consistent, thorough, patient diligence like Him who is with us. If there's one more ingredient in happiness, we looked at a portion of this quote. There was that European boy who contacted Ellen White to ask about a person that he liked and thought might make a good wife. And so Ellen White agreed to investigate and did investigate. And in a letter written in Europe in 1886, 1886, she said this, I had reason to think that she disliked domestic labor, and I knew that you should have a wife that could make you a happy home. Note, if this girl disliked domestic labor, she could not make a happy home. These are not optional. These are essential. So Ellen White talked to the girl. She asked the girl if she loved the fellow. The girl said no. You can read all the questions she asked in the book, Letters to Young Lovers. But I want you to notice the question she asked about homemaking skills. I asked her if she had any experience in those duties that make a home. What experience that she have in running a home, cooking, cleaning, the not very romantic, not very exciting things. It's a crucial question. What is your experience in running a home? Is it something you like to do? What is your experience in housekeeping? Is this something you like to do? What's your favorite part? What part do you dislike most? These are questions that you need to find out in dialogue. What is your experience in cooking and baking? Is this something you enjoy doing? Is your cooking healthy, inexpensive? What is your experience in sewing? Have you ever made a dress? Can you repair clothes? Now, if I was being interviewed for a job, what questions would I be asked? I would be asked about my experience in the job for which I was applying. You want to know the experience, the aptitude, the interests, and the tasks that go into the job. Those are the questions that must be answered before a marriage for both sides. She answered that she had done housework at home in her father's family. It was somewhat of an incomplete answer. It may have suggested more than was true. Because Ellen White then said, I asked these questions because as her character had been presented to me, she needed special education in practical duties of life, but had no taste or inclination for these things. You see, this girl needed special ed. Elazar had an opportunity to observe Rachel, Rebecca. He saw her taking her responsibilities, getting water for the house. It may have been for drinking, for cooking, or bathing, but she knew how to work. And practical knowledge of running a home is needed. Deuteronomy one thirteen says this, Select wise and practical men, those known among your tribes, whom I may appoint as your leaders. Psalm 128, verse 2, When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. God designed work to make us happy. And homes that don't understand the joy of work can never be happy. Health Reformer, 1877: 1, Upon no account should the marriage relation be entered upon until the parties, male and female, have a knowledge of the duties of a practical domestic life. Letters to Young Lovers, page 19. Before assuming the responsibilities involved in marriage, young men and young women should have such an experience in practical life as will prepare them for its duties and its burdens. There you have it. Eight important areas to explore for home happiness. And eight important areas to explore not only in others, but to explore in yourself. You know, the sword of the Spirit is a two-edged sword. You know what that means? It means it cuts the listener, but it also cuts the speaker. As I was studying this, I realized that when I was here this weekend, I would need to make my bed and keep it tidy. And I found it in my home. One of the things that just... About three months ago, I was trying to think, what could I do? Sherry takes such good care of me. She's such a wonderful wife. What could I do just to be a thoughtful thing for her? Every morning, I can make the bed. And she always makes it, but I try to beat her to it. And um, um, But these cut as I was thinking these things through to, to say, I realized there are areas in my life that I don't come up to the standard of bring happiness to my home. I'm thankful that Jesus changes us. Covers us. I'm thankful for forgiveness, for deference. For all the things that have made it possible for Sherry to be happy living with me. So these eight areas. The presence of Christ. arching, In supporting. Underlying Unity. Habitual courtesy, deference, love for order and organization, wise money management. We might say time management too there. Patient, diligent, thorough consistency, and practical home skills. If you carefully investigate these areas prayerfully, both in your own life and in the one you're dating, you have all the information you need to make a wise decision. Shall we bow our heads Father in heaven it's been my attempt to speak plainly because plainness must be given you want people happy i've tried to speak for you lord just like i would talk to my own children and lord you've rebuked me as i've studied these things and i want to be a husband and father that brings much greater happiness into my home, by more carefulness that you provide in control of what I say and, and how I say it, my tone of voice, courtesy. I pray, Lord, that for all of us, the presence of Christ may go with us, that we can bring a blessing, be a blessing. We're so grateful for this time that we've had to spend studying your word, meditating on some of its principles. may I pray that you will use this to plant in some hearts, seeds that will bring a rich harvest for Jesus. We thank you for hearing and answering this prayer. In Christ's name, amen.